Welcome to the Happy Ramp Podcast. I am Ted Cluck, joined as always in studio by my good friend and my partner in radio, Barnabas Piper. Pipe, we are uh, we are Sands, the hardest resting man in ministry, Ronald J. Martin, who is uh, where he needs to be again, which is traveling and uh, unavailable for the program. But we've got we've got kind of a somber one on tap, Pipe, in that uh, a day ago we're taping this on a Monday. Uh, Kobe Bryant, NBA legend, uh, passed away in a, in a helicopter accident. He was 41 years old. And uh, we're going to talk about all, all aspects of that. Um, but first, Pipe, why don't you tell us about our sponsor, Dwell Bible? Yeah, so Dwell has been a partner of ours for several months now, and we have loved uh, we've loved having them sponsor the podcast. Uh, we especially love having sponsors whose products we use and enjoy, and Dwell is one of those. Uh, it is an audio Bible app, so if you go to dwellapp.io slash happyrant, or just go to happyrant, uh, you just go to our show notes, um, you, you'll see it all there. But again, dwellapp.io slash happyrant, you can, uh, you can find out all about the app. They have listening plans, they have multiple narrators, they have new features coming out all the time, um, and so that that includes like sort of a clip and save feature, or you know you can select a segment and listen to it on repeat for memorization or for study. Uh, it's a great way to use time in the car or time at the gym or you know anytime you'd be listening to a podcast like this one or an audio book, you can drop dwell into some of that time and sort of get more scripture into your life. Uh, I find it helpful just because um, you know life is full and sometimes it's hard to get in the word. But again, dwellapp.io/happyrant and the offer they have for listeners. You can also share this with anybody. Is a thirty-three percent discount off of a subscription, so that's it. Ends up being less than twenty dollars a year, so really inexpensive. Um, less than two dollars a month to to have access to this whole wealth of scripture audio that they are improving and increasing all the time. So go check that out. Awesome, thank you, Pipe, and thank you to Dwell for partnering with us, and thank you to our listeners. It's been a long time since I've I've thanked our our fan base here at the Happy Rant, and we've been uh, we've been doing this for a long time, Piper, and enjoying it for a long time, gearing up for another live show uh, in Louisville later this spring, and uh, yeah, I, just grateful I that think people. This year makes six years. I think I I feel yeah. like it was spring of fourteen that we started this joint. Yeah, it's wild, man. This is my fifth year at Union. So, and I, we started this about a year before I moved down here. So yeah, it would, it would be year six, um, which is crazy. A lot's changed, man. A lot's changed in the world. A lot's changed in our lives. Um, but it's, it's been fun to keep doing this and it's, it's always fun to me, man, to have interactions with people and, and fans and people who listen to the show who pop up here and there and send us stuff. And, um, it, it is a reminder of, what a privilege it is to have an audience, you know, any audience of any size, you know, caring about what you do. It's uh, it's kind of a big deal. And, and in, in that light, you know, Kobe Bryant had a huge audience and um, it's it's interesting, Pipe. And I want to hear your your story of kind of how you got the news yesterday. But we had had this morning where it was just a great morning. It was a great morning of, um, you know, for me, spending time with my wife, just enjoying Redbud coffee and, um, you know, enjoying each other, going to church, being super grateful. I think even gr- more grateful than usual of, of what a blessing we have in our church. And then, you know, came home, had lunch with a friend. And then I started getting these texts from my students and in particular basketball players, you know, I think were especially wrecked by the news of, of Kobe's death. And then, 
you know, for the Christian, I think just the reminder of, of death in the world, you know, we had had this kind of celebratory morning of, of hopefulness and life with our church. And then just to be reminded that when someone dies young, it's, it's brokenness, you know, it's brokenness in the world. I think it's especially hard when a non-believer dies to, to be honest, you know, there's, there's no way to sort of hopefully talk about that with your kids or, or with anyone, you know, and, and it hits especially hard. So, um, so yeah, just kind of, it, it, it cast a pall over, over yesterday and today. And, um, people are obviously responding to it in very current ways, I guess I'll say. And, um, <laughs> you know, and, and there's some sadness in that too, but what about your experience with it, Pipe? Yeah, really similar morning. Um, you know, got up and and went to church, and uh, yeah, just a, a full morning of of really, you know, good conversations with people at church and a great message. Sam Albury preached at our church, and yeah, just to use the term sort of grateful and celebratory, and I think both of those sum up the the experience all the way up to going to lunch with my kids after church, and um, and I I think it was. So after lunch, I took my kids out to lunch afterwards and then was on my way with them to go run a quick errand and was waiting at a red light and, as one does, pulled up Twitter because mm-hmm. I'm addicted to my phone like the rest of America, <laughs> except for you. You're not addicted to Twitter. Um, <laughs> and and I see, I see a, a TMZ report shared that there's a report that Kobe Bryant dies in a helicopter crash. Well, I, there was nothing else on it. Google didn't yeah. have anything. No other reporters were saying anything. I, you know, and my first thought was just, I, I hope to everything that this is fake. Sure. TM- yeah, absolutely. I mean, and, and TMZ is kind of a gong show, but they're good reporters. Like they, yeah. they have really good sources. And so I was, I was really scared. Uh, and so I go into the store with my kids. I come out 15 minutes later and now Twitter has blown up, but yeah. there's not a lot of verification on it. And then, and then there's a report that all of his kids are in the helicopter with him, mm. and that that was from a reporter at ABC. Yeah, so, I saw that. And, I saw that that you know, and, story, which is terrible. I mean, it's it's it it would have been terrible if it was true. It is yeah. it is also terrible that it was reported. And uh, so you know, we're driving thirty minutes home from from lunch and church and errands, and I'm just sort of trying to keep my head in the car with my kids, but also wondering what's going on. I get home, I look through it all, you know, to, to try to find out what's going on. By that time, it's sort of been shaken out that no, all of his kids were not in there, but his 13-year-old daughter was. Mm. Um, he was confirmed killed in this helicopter crash. I guess they were on their way to a, an AAU game or something. And mm-hmm. there was... And and what what has it? I haven't seen reported much as anything about the other people in the helicopter because I think there was another family and at least one or two of, uh, I think his daughter's name is Gianna, uh, her mm. teammates, and so I mean it, it's it's hit a lot of families, but just yeah I mean it I think the thing that hit me most was not famous person got killed but thirteen year old daughter got killed with oh him. yeah. Yeah, I'm in the car with my my recently turned 14 year old daughter and my recently turned 11 year old daughters. And this if we lived in a different neighborhood, this could have been their friend. You know, this is yeah, this is the same people they they have on their swim teams or or, they go to youth group with or whatever. It's the exact same kind of kid. And um, yeah, I think 
that more than anything has landed heavily on me. Um, and then, but then starting to see the responses to Kobe's passing. And to me, Kobe was always a, you know, he's a premier basketball player, but I never had any emotional connection to Kobe. He wasn't an athlete who I loved. Um, I came of age during the Jordan era. Yeah. And then my favorite players and teams were always um, opposed to Kobe. So he was always a guy I really yeah. disliked as a basketball player, respected yeah, completely. Sure. But to see how, I mean, you mentioned all the basketball players texting you. Mm-hmm. He was, he was formational. If I don't even know if that's a word, but let's call it yeah. one uh, for, for a whole generation of basketball players post Jordan and pre LeBron. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Kobe's, Kobe's ascension kind of mirrored that of the internet in that I think he turned pro in 96 and the internet was kind of just starting then. And, you know, so for him to kind of grow right along with social media, I think he was, you know, he, he was one of the first guys to get YouTube compilations and he was such a great highlight basketball player. Um, yeah. And it, and it's funny I didn't have an emotional connection with Kobe either in the sense that Kobe's about my age. And I I remember those early and mid twenties years, I was working and grinding so hard trying to like just make it and make a name for myself that I kind of didn't have any time to care about what Kobe was doing or what was happening in the NBA. Um, But I was aware of him, you know, and and I, I think just the unusualness of his persona, having grown up in Italy and speaking multiple languages. And, um, you know, he was a unique figure on the sports landscape and really being unabashed about trying to fill the shoes of Jordan. You know, that was a that was a goal of his. And he wanted to be the most famous Laker. And he did it all with one team. And there's a lot about his persona that was really fascinating while yeah at the same time like for me I cried when Walter Payton died Mm -hmm. you know and I was a I was a young adult when that happened but he was my guy I mean Payton was my childhood and you know Jordan like you said was kind of your childhood too and you know there was a a heart level connection with those guys as a fan that um that wasn't there with Kobe but I, I I think what yesterday gave me an appreciation of is that for so many people, like even college basketball players at Union where I teach, like they really, for whatever reason, had that heart level connection with Kobe. And I think he represented somebody who not only achieved a ton on the basketball court, but kind of had the persona and the the business sense and the the entertainment industry chops off the court that all these kids aspire to. Yeah. You know, his his career arc was one that they would all want. And, um, you know, they took it pretty hard as a result. When, yeah, and I think if, if you think about just the, the overlap of age ranges. So Kobe retired uh, two years ago, I guess. So he retired mm-hmm. at, at 39 or 40 maybe. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the, the, late in his career, he wasn't great anymore. He still put up numbers sometimes. Yeah. But but if those guys became basketball fans at seven, eight years old, yeah, they were catching Kobe during his during his title runs with Powell. You know, they yeah. they missed the years of Kobe when he wore number eight and he, you know, his, his hair was a little longer. He was sort of the young, yeah. super explosive guy. But they caught the, like, I'm going to take this game by the throat and choke the life out of it, Kobe, who was, yeah. Yeah. he was one of the most feared and dominant players in the NBA. 
for yeah. a good run during their like ages eight through high school. Yeah. So yeah, it makes sense. You know, I, I didn't have a heart connection to Jordan, but he was, you know, he was the NBA. I mean, his, his, he's just aura was so big. So yeah. post Jordan, I was just Kevin Garnett. I was Kevin Garnett sure. and Timberwolves. And so, you know, if, if, if this had been KG instead of Kobe, my reaction would have been similar to all of these people who were like that. That's the guy who made me love this game. Sure. Um, and it's the way I felt when, when Kirby Puckett died, I was like mm. maybe in my early twenties when that happened. Yeah. And that was my childhood. Like Kirby was my childhood guy. You know, he's yeah. the one who you could do the over the fence catches and, and try to, <laughs> you know, imitate yep. his, his crazy stance and his high kick and he was short and chubby and I used to be short and chubby and there's just yeah. everything there. And so I, I, I kind of secondhand understand, um, the, the resonance with so many people, but I, I, I heard a brief interview maybe with, I can't remember who it was cause it was so many pieces of, of news floating around and commentary, but just a really heartfelt commentary from a younger basketball player. So maybe 10 years, um, Kobe's junior. Yeah. And he just, so I think an NBA guy now, if I recall, mm -hmm. and he was just saying, there's no describing what it looks like when you are 10, 11, 12 years old and you look ahead and you see a, a black man who is owning the league, who mm -hmm. is owning business, yeah. who is, who is respected, not just yeah. the, the, you know, the NBA has always had black superstars, but Kobe sure. was a different guy because of his because of his business acumen, because of his persona. Yeah. And and so there there's a there's a cultural aspect to this that I suspect you and I both probably are on the outside of in terms yeah. of his meaningfulness to a huge a yep. huge number of of basketball fans and just fans of Kobe. Yeah, indeed. And I, I definitely understand it on a like a head level. You know, I understand it intellectually but but yeah like knowing knowing exactly what that feels like I, I think we are on the outside of it and um you know he he was such an interesting figure and so successful in all the ways that you just mentioned you know it would be hard not to you know to find that really compelling and um you know it's funny as you were talking I was reminded I was trying to explain the Kobe like Mamba killer instinct thing to KK this morning because we were, we were driving home from the gym and obviously had spent 12 hours kind of saturated in, in, in Kobe reports and, and everything yesterday and this morning. And she was asking me like, well, how does he compare with LeBron and, and Jordan? And I was explaining this whole, you know, end of the game, stand on your neck. Like you just need a finisher kind of, moment and how, you know, he really had that and he was really special in that way. And, and I think in a lot of ways, pipe, not to put too much of a spiritual fine point on this, but Kobe was sort of the, in a way, an icon of secularism, right? I mean, the whole Mamba mentality, I'm going to take something and will it into existence I mean, if you he, don't know, he gave himself that nickname. Nobody nicknamed sure. him that. He said, he said, <laughs> he, I, I am the black Mamba and just called himself that. And how yeah. many people have given themselves a nickname that then stuck? Exactly. Like that's, yeah. There's Even, a level of, of sort of intense insanity to that, that, that echoes there is. what you're saying. So yeah, if you don't know Christ at all, you know, Kobe is kind of the, 
the the apex of what it can be, right? You know, you you dream all this stuff into existence and you will it and you you work it all into existence. And, you know, I think as we look back on his life, there were so many things that he was willing to make happen and so many dreams that he was able to live. Um, yeah, in a, in a Christless mindset, that is as good as it gets, you know, and there's and there's even common grace in that on the level of you and I who know Christ really still being able to appreciate it and celebrate it and enjoy it. And, you know, you and I being athletes at some level, appreciators of sport. Um, yeah, just really being able to appreciate what he brought to the table. Yeah. I, it's, you know, it, the way that this conversation has gone and moving towards the, the more overtly spiritual aspects of it raises a question that I know you and I never like to talk about this stuff when it comes to sports because we're, we're lover of the sport and the yeah. off the court field uh, competitive side of things is of less interest to us. Yeah. How does Kobe's the, the rape allegations uh, mm. from when was that early two thousands? I can't yeah. remember exactly. Um, I'm 2003, that. I okay. believe. So, I mean, it was, it was peak, peak of his career it was the kobe yeah. shack era um yeah. and so he's he's accused of rape at a place in colorado and and it ends up getting settled out of court so civil a civil uh, settlement his it doesn't get brushed under the rug per se but it was pre-social media which means yeah. that that there wasn't the same level of like cancellation that there would be now of right. somebody right but his wife stayed with him mm -hmm. they they seem to have by all accounts reconciled and had a a, a good family life I yeah. don't know much about his marriage, but ev everything I've heard and read is is you know in terms of his devotion as a father, and they have stayed together. How yeah. does how does that whole uh, arc of events play into your kind of how you consider Kobe? Yeah, what a great question. You know, it's it's hard not to think about that without thinking about my wife, and it's interesting too in conversation with her that was one of the first things she brought up, you know? So I think, I think for a woman it's different, right? So, and, and for KK not being a sports person necessarily, but just getting little snatches and bits and pieces of sports narratives over the years through me, one of the first and most uh, kind of loud things that she remembered about Kobe Bryant's life over the last 20 years was the rape allegation. And, you know, so for her, I think it's, it's tougher to kind of compartmentalize that part of his life from everything else. And I, I mean, look, only, only God knows what happened. And really all we have as fans are the on-court moments. Um, I don't think either of us were rushing to sort of put Kobe Bryant on any kind of a human pedestal as like, hey, children of ours, this is how you should be, you know. Um, and I think were Kobe alive and, and, and were it a conversation point with our kids, we would even be slow to, you know, celebrate his hunger for success and his need for validation. And, and there are all these things spiritually that you would, that you would kind of uh, give pause to, you know? Um, so yeah, I, I don't know, pipe to answer your question. 
it's really hard to separate the two. And yeah. I want to I wanna both celebrate the idea that in Christ, there is forgiveness for sins and there is new life, right? So there is an opportunity in the gospel for for the, the old man to die and for reconciliation to happen. Um, whether that happened in his life or his marriage, I have no idea. I hope so. You know, I really hope so. And, and the fact that a marriage could survive something like that and, and reconciliation could seemingly happen is hopeful. But if something happened, it, it doesn't negate it either, you know? So it's kind of this both and thing where you go, man, I I really hope that played out in the right way. I kind of doubt it, but I, but I still hope it, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, it's man, it's hard to, it's hard to, it's hard to know how to make sense out of these things outside of a context where the gospel is the thing that, that reconciles, uh, right. because, because what is reconciliation outside of that? I mean, I, I think right. I, if you believe in common grace, you, you know, the, the image bearing of God and mm-hmm. the, the fingerprints of God, very obvious in people. I think people do godly things without awareness of God. So yeah. it's very possible that there was a genuine forgiveness and a genuine reconciliation Mm-hmm. But it is it's hard for me to understand exactly what that would mean. Um, I think the the part of it that that probably spins up in my head the most, it's I've I'm at the point now where if there are allegations of something and I don't know what happened, yeah, I don't I mean making making accusations, making postulations just mm-hmm. seems foolish and more, you know, gossipy and harmful than anything. Like I don't know what happened. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what happened in that case. I also don't know what happened between Kobe and his wife in the you know almost twenty years since. Um, yeah, but it does make me think a lot about what she must be experiencing now in the wake of his passing. Um, mm. Lost a daughter, lost her husband, who ostensibly, if they stayed together, a lot of work was done to yeah. to put things back together. Um, yeah. Because because how else do you stay together for 17 more years aside yeah. from, you know, a real dying to self and work being done? And I mean, mm-hmm. I, I guess people do it in a miserable way, but that in yeah. today's culture, that seems unlikely. Most people yeah. tap out. Yeah. Um, yeah. So if, man, what, where does that... I guess where does that leave her? I don't, you know, again, with no idea. That that's a that's not a question for you to answer. Just the question yeah. that is in my, you know, kind of in my mind and heart is where where does this leave her as somebody who seemingly sacrificed and gave and worked and yeah. And that's setting aside the in, you know, inex inexpressible pain of losing a child. Yeah. No, definitely. And I I think isn't it interesting how death death makes everything else seem a little bit silly in light of it in the sense that nobody in his family or in his immediate circle is comforting themselves with, yeah, but he scored 60 points against the jazz in his last game, or he won a, you know, we won an Oscar or he had this really unique show on ESPN. So all, all the things that we, 
And when I say we, I mean you and I and Ron and people like us, we beat our brains out and we work so hard to get these things, these earthly things that, yeah, the minute someone dies, they re- they really do seem ridiculous in, in light of eternity. And I think there's a lesson there for us. Um, if his marriage survived because of Christ, then man, that's, that's worth celebrating. I, I, I think it's probably because of Christ in, in, in a common grace context that his marriage survived at all. Right. Um, so, you know, I mean, there, there, there are laudable things in this. Um, but, but I do wonder if, if the whole narrative gives some perspective on, you know, you hate to say what's important because that's so cliche, but you know, to me, appreciating my kids, um, you know, hungering for more time with them because we do know how fleeting this is, you know, and it could, it could all be over in a heartbeat. So, you know, really wanting to, to soak up, to appreciate, to spend a little bit less time on my persona or even my career or, um, whatever it is that I'm chasing, um, you know, because it, it, it all seems pretty small in light of the loss of life. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's interesting that you bring up persona because it, I think one of the things yesterday, like I just had to kind of set my phone aside and, and walk away from, from everything, uh, public for a bit in the afternoon mm-hmm. and then, you know, turned on the Grammys in the evening. Cause I was like, I just, I need to put my mind somewhere else. Um, yeah. Because of the persona work being done, built on the mm-hmm. back of Kobe Bryant's passing, mm-hmm. and it mm-hmm. it was so. This is and and I'm not. This is not accusing everybody who said something about it of that. Yeah. it's pretty yeah, obvious yeah, yeah. the difference between a man who I respected for his basketball talent passed away. I'm heartbroken, mm-hmm. or the best wishes of the, towards the family, and yeah. the people who are sort of. They're writing immediate posts. There's a self-congratulatory, not congratulatory, mm-hmm. just self-posturing uh, yeah. attitude of it. And and I wonder if people even know they're doing it. Or is it just the, like, yeah. everything is an opportunity to be heard? Yeah. You know? Cause Dude, I, I, and, and here's the thing. I was tempted to do the same thing. I probably wrote certainly. three to five tweets and then either deleted them or just... Mm-hmm you know, put them in my drafts and I'll delete them later. Cause I was like, this, this is not the time and place to talk like for me to give my opinion on Kobe's legacy. Who who cares? Who cares what I think? I mean, I realize we're talking about it on the podcast, but this feels like a conversation with friends as opposed to for sure, a public, you know, platforming of something. Yeah, no, I agree. And, and I think that's, it's really interesting that you share that. And it's, it's hopeful to me that you deleted the tweets, you know, um, and and I think the pathology that you just described is it is as natural as breathing for people in this context. And, and to your question of whether it's even conscious, I don't think it is. You know, I, I think it would take a massive amount of like mind and heart work on a day-to-day basis to extricate like personal motive from public persona. And all, all the more true if there's any kind of fame involved, right? So regardless of how big your audience is, something happens, whether it's Kobe Bryant dying or, you know, at Jared C. Wilson drops an article that you don't entirely agree with or whatever. And it's impossible to separate 
how is this going to move my career forward from just a person having a genuine reaction, which is why, like for me, it's, it's, it would 100% be sinful for me to be on Twitter. Like I would sin every day. Um, because I struggle with that. Right. And I struggle with wanting everyone to like me and wanting to move my persona forward and, and all these things. And, I would have almost certainly written the wrong thing yesterday if I'd had access to Twitter and I would have woken up feeling gross and convicted about it. And so I'm just glad that wasn't an issue. Um, and, and I think in general, it would be good for more people to say less things because Kobe Bryant is going to be remembered in this kind of massive way, regardless of what I say about it or regardless of what you say about it. And, um, you know, yeah, I, I, I agree pipe. There was a, there was kind of a gross amount of posturing and, and, and so here's one that I'm trying to get my head around. And again, I, I don't want to judge anybody for doing this necessarily, but there was a lot of like, here's a picture of me with Kobe kind of posts from other famous people. Um, and yeah, that, that to me felt a little a little self-congratulatory. I don't know. Um, it, hard to separate the two. It is. And, and I think, I think because it's subconscious for people, mm-hmm. it's probably not fair to, you know, to, to throw stones at their motives. Sure. Sure, I sure. think it's the only way people know how to process difficult things. You know, right. we talked about this when, when the Notre Dame cathedral burned. Yeah. Oh, you yeah. know, it's yeah, just yeah, yeah. the, the, People who are pulling out this, like, this is tragic, this is whatever. First of all, I bet most of those people have forgotten that it burned um, yeah. since then. Now, I don't yeah. think the life of somebody is is going to have that little impact on people. But mm-hmm. sort of the, the pulling of yourself into the grieving process, like, this is my grief. Well, it's, yeah. it's not your grief. Yeah. It is – there's different kinds of grief. The family yeah. deserves to have their grief, which yep. is very different than – than yeah. mine or yours or somebody who is a massive fan of his. Yeah. And it, in that case, it's a shared thing. But yeah. it's also like social media is not the place to process the hardest things in life. Yeah. You know, correct. it's it, when, when, and so there's a, um, I think that's part of the reason I felt compelled to kind of put my phone away because I felt the draw to start to process this thing in, in a way that felt increasingly trite. Yeah. Every yeah. word I wrote was was just meaningless for two yeah. reasons. One, I don't have I'm not the right person to say things about Kobe's legacy. There yeah. are people who knew him, there are people who covered him as a as a reporter or as a friend. There's his mm-hmm. agent, there's his family. There's a lot of people who who were in a circle who had a right to do that. I'm not one of them. Yeah. And the second is it's death. Like yeah. De- death processed publicly like that it well, not just publicly but in that platform is just it that that's the same platform that we process our our, our great tacos and yeah you yeah, know exactly. signing a book contract and for our sweet trips or yeah, whatever and, and you six, know? six ways to be a better man and like it's yeah y- you have you have kind of amalgamated death into all the meaningless or just yeah. less meaningful stuff of life yeah. And I love Twitter. Yeah. But Twitter is useful for uh, you know there's a ceiling on its usefulness and its appropriateness. And yeah. I just um I don't know. I it felt 
it feels to me that people only know how to process that way. The idea of putting down their phone mm-hmm. and just sitting and reflecting, yeah. thinking, considering like what what must Vanessa Bryant be feeling right now? Yeah, or like processing that with whoever's in your living room. Yeah. You know, if if you're fortunate enough to to have someone in your in your space, like I mean, I remember when my grandpa died, I was 13 and yeah, like you you weep, you know, you heave with with grief and you get held by whoever's close by and and that it's a it's a private thing. But I think I think this discussion reveals a lot about what different people think about Twitter, right? Like to me and and what I hear you saying, even though you you have a higher view of Twitter than me, we're we're both in agreement that responding to it on Twitter trivializes it in a sense because Twitter is a trivial place, right? Um, and if we had a higher view of Twitter, we may think differently about that. Whereas like I will probably read the eulogy that the New York times puts together because that feels less trivial to me. And it feels like, okay, somebody worked on this and somebody thought about it and yeah, it's not just somebody kind of knee jerk jumping on a, on a persona wagon subconsciously. I, I, I think the, you know, just watching TV about it yesterday and, and they did the very now thing of like, running everybody's tweets on TV. I, I, I think the ones that resonated the most were the ones that were just like, Oh no, you know, not, not this, not Kobe. Um, that felt genuine, you know, and, and heartfelt and kind of in the moment. But, um, I don't even like being in, in a position though, where I have to judge the veracity of someone's response. You know what I mean? And, and being alive in 2020 kind of puts us in that, that place of, yeah, having to sift through all of it for one, but then also having to judge it, and um, yeah, it's just a lot. It's a lot to have to well, deal with. And that's the thing is, I think when you say judging, I don't, I don't hear you yeah. saying like that you are the judge and jury over this, but just no, be, no, even being put in a position to evaluate it. You know, right. the, the moment somebody says something, you you're in a position where you have to go. You kind of at a gut level as well as an intellectual level, going, is this genuine? Is this true? What are they trying to communicate? Yeah, which is very different than yeah the person in your living room who's just working through something, saying yeah. something to, to they don't they don't have the words or yeah. they're they're crying or whatever it is, and yeah, yeah it just um I don't know I it well that's even that's the corner though that Twitter has backed us into in that it's it's rewired our brains to do that right because on a normal Twitter day where nobody dies, you know, and, and it's just the same people arguing about the same stuff. Like what you're doing when you're scrolling is high speed judging, right? You're like, I'm going to stop and give a little time to this tweet, or I'm going to like sniff and roll my eyes at that tweet or whatever. So we're all, we're all high speed, you know, judges in Mm -hmm. the sense that, Twitter has rewired our brains to be that way. And, you know, when somebody dies or when something truly uh, monumental happens like it did yesterday, you know, it's it's hard to unplug that 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 thing that we do or, or, you know, shut off that muscle so that we can sit in it and give it the space it requires. Yeah. And I, I think there's also just there's I mean, I was just thinking about this because I, I was trying to figure out how hypocritical I am, you know, as we're uh-huh. talking. 
because <laughs> yeah, for sure. I, you know, I'm saying things and I'm wondering how much have I done on Twitter that completely flies in the face of the words that are coming out of my mouth right now. Um, mm-hmm. And I realized, you know, I, I posted publicly about getting engaged. So mm-hmm. that's that's a that's a personal private thing that uh, that I that I took public. Mm-hmm. And I and I'm sitting here thinking, is that different or am I going to just am I just self justifying? And the thing, yeah. and when the thing that came to the thing, so here's here's my thought process on this, and you can tell me if I'm full of crap. Yeah. Is first that wasn't a public thing that was that was expressed mm-hmm. to family. Some family members were were present. Some were notified and and you know celebrated with very quickly thereafter before anything went public. Close yeah. friends, things like that. And I think there's a difference between celebration and grief publicly. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. allowing people into your joy. Is, yeah. is a little different than what feels like posturing your grief. Because grief, because of this age of faux authenticity, yeah, genuine celebration feels authentic always. When you yeah. watch people celebrate, it always feels authentic. This is somebody yeah. who is grateful, who is happy, who is whatever. Yeah. Grief and pain are leveraged often. Yeah. yeah. And so public grief and pain require it seems like a different sort of evaluation of what what are you like what are you expecting from me i don't know you but like do you want a digital hug like, mm-hmm. and, and i don't mean that in a snide way but just in a i don't yeah it i think there's a different aspect to it so well there, there's there's my initial set of thoughts what <laughs> what strikes you yeah no that's that's really good and i think what strikes me is you know to to the note about you know you announcing your engagement on twitter to me, that fits into a very different category than, um, let's say it's three years from now and you've been married for a while and you're posting pictures, the subtext of which is basically look at my amazing marriage. To me, that's a lot more self-aggrandizing and posturing and persona building and aggravating than someone basically sharing happy news on the internet. Right. Like, so you're announcing your engagement shared via Twitter. It, it, it served a, it served a new, a new sharing function, right. In mm-hmm. that you do have a bit of a public platform and you also just are someone who has a lot of friends and that's a blessing. And it's a way to, it's a way to tell everybody that you didn't have time to personally text on the night of your engagement, which is a pretty monumental night. So, you know, I don't, I don't think anybody's begrudging you announcing a, an engagement on Twitter, but I think the things that I hear people and the things that I got the most jealous of, aggravated by, et cetera, et cetera, on social media were the things that felt like I'm taking this moment in my life that should be private, like having coffee on a porch with my wife. And I'm turning it into a public occasion for people to look at my life and celebrate it, right? Those are the things yeah. that, piss, that piss me off the most about social media. And when people do that, I will almost always get pissed off. But, but yeah, I, I, I think the response to something like an engagement is completely different. If that makes sense. Yeah, I think I, that does. And that I mean, that even helps me in kind of thinking through what I feel at my gut level, but maybe yeah. hadn't processed through. And I completely agree that there is a, there's a, 
there's a difference in news sharing and sell. I mean, it's the difference between announcing a new baby and announcing, you know, something that looks like you're congratulating yourself on being a great parent. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Yep. If somebody is if somebody is excited about having a new baby, that's yeah. that feels like an absolute occasion to rejoice. You know, yeah. or or if your if your child has been really sick and the doctor declares them, you know, cancer free or something like, yes, oh, yeah, hundred percent celebrate those things. Those yep. are those are different things than you know, was reading Bible story number 87 for the day with my kid. And listen, he can quote, you know, Roman, you know, Romans yeah. from the Latin Vulgate or something. And, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. and so there's, yeah, I yeah. think I, I resonate with what you're saying. And the flip side of that on the grief is because of the, like the unassailability of authenticity. If mm-hmm. somebody claims authenticity, mm-hmm. we can't say anything to them. Yeah. You know, that's their that's their truth. Those are their feelings. They yeah. And so and so grief allows things to be handled very differently. And people sort of use they use social media as their therapist, as their friends, Mm -hmm. as as the things that ought to be handled in a I mean, I say ought to. I I think they ought to. Yeah. Yeah. Handled in a. uh, in a in a relational context, I don't want to say private because yeah. that makes it sound like they're you know dirty secrets. But a a yeah. safe relational context versus a a public yeah. judge judged context. Well, and isn't it such a counterfeit version of all those things that you described? I mean, essentially, you're describing at one level the life of the church, right? Like I have I have brothers and sisters in this life with whom I'm sharing everything, right? Good things, bad things, triumphs, uh, struggles, you know, and this happening within the context of a family and then a set of friendships and then the church. Like, again, I'm just reminded of the richness that we have in Christ, you know, and, and it's not accidental that, you know, these things happen in a really rich level in the life of the church. But if you don't have that and if all you have is the world, then yeah, a hundred percent. You know, you're looking for your therapy, your validation, your whatever on, on Twitter. And that, that to me is deeply sad again, not in a judgmental way, but just in a man, I wish it was better. I wish it it seems lonely. It just, it does. It seems lonely, but noisy, you know what I'm saying? Which is the worst way to be lonely. (laughs) Like if I'm going to be lonely, I at least want it to be quiet so that I can I can kind of parse my own thoughts accordingly, but yeah, it's, that's really true. I mean, it feels it, the, when I can think back on the loneliest moments of my life, none of them were sitting mm-hmm. by myself at home. Yeah. They, they were all yeah. in public places where I, I saw other people living life and I felt like mine was very removed from that. So, I mean, sometimes yeah. it was church, sometimes it was, you know, a restaurant, sometimes, you know, traveling when I used to travel yeah. for work more. But those always like airports always felt the most sort of depressing yeah. lonely to me at those times. Yeah. And, you know, you watch people, you just watch people in, in there in those contexts. So, yeah, like loud loneliness is mm-hmm. so depressing. Oh, it really is. It's the worst kind, I think. And, um, and you know, to, t- to take it back to Kobe a little bit, I think one of the most, and I don't know why this struck me as hopeful, and, and I want to I wanna hear your response to this, but one of, the, one of the most hopeful images of yesterday was like everybody congregating around the Staples Center um, as the images of Kobe flashed on the big screens outside the Staples Center. It, it felt less lonely to me. And I looked at that and I went, yeah, better, 
better for people to be out there and be kind of shoulder to shoulder than to be, yes. you know, just thumb, thumbing away at their phones all afternoon what, trying to make sense of it, you know? And, and not to compare the two tragedies, but just in terms of the response to it. Uh, I was a freshman in college when 9-11 happened. And, you know, I was at Wheaton. And so, you know, Christian school really believes mm-hmm. in the Bible and in prayer. And so when that happened, later that day, you know, they canceled classes and mm-hmm. they, they had a they had multiple prayer services throughout the day or just not even prayer services, but like opportunities to come together and pray and grieve and be afraid and whatever. And there was, there was such a richness in being like side by side, shoulder to shoulder with people who, I mean, some of these people I'd known for two weeks because I'd only been at college since, you know, late August. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's, responding to something publicly painful that way is yeah. so much different. Now I'm imagining if I had had Twitter then mm-hmm. what, what would it have looked like the, the, the relative isolation of people uh, yeah. responding to this on, on Instagram, on Twitter, on, you know, pick your favorite social media platform versus 2000 students sort of, it spontaneously flooding to the auditorium because because yeah. that's what you do when when stuff yeah. is this bad. Well, and it's it what you're describing is the difference between being in college now and being in college in a in a pre social media environment. And those of us who are in the college business, we talk about this a lot, right? And and the conversations are for you probably similar in the, in the service to the church context that you're in now professionally. But, but yeah, there, there's this kind of like pulling out of our hair over the fact that, uh, it's hard to get people to come together for anything anymore. Right. Because we're all in our own privately curated worlds of, of electronics and, you know, it's hard to get anybody to leave their dorms and come to something. And, yeah, sometimes it takes a, a tragedy of a huge magnitude to get people to do that. And it's it's really interesting to me, Pipe, that more and more we talk about life in these terms. Like, remember how it was to get a book deal before Twitter. And now, like, you get a book deal and you're posting a picture of the contract or a picture of when your books arrive. And it's like, for, for me, stuff like that falls into a category of, yeah, I kind of roll my eyes about it. <laughs> you know, when people do that, I kind of, I sniff and roll my eyes a little bit, but I also get it. You know, I, I, I expect authors to do that and I expect even my friends to do it. But, um, but that doesn't mean I like it. You know, I, I think it was richer. I think it was better to get a book deal and I don't know, just hug your wife or like yeah. call your best buddy from college and be like, Hey, listen to this. This you're not going to believe this. You know, and and there was a sweetness and an innocence to that that I think we've lost completely. Yeah. yeah, I think I think that's true. I think the we just we have no categories anymore for uh for what used to I think be very natural. This is a this is a family matter, this is a friend's mm-hmm. matter, this is a neighbor's matter, this is a church matter, this is a, mm-hmm. a citywide matter, this is a you know, write yeah. an op ed matter. Yeah. Um, and, and it's, you know, th- there are benefits to, to the easy access to putting everything public. There's, there, yeah. are, there, there are definite benefits. I mean, I, I wouldn't be on social media if I didn't think it was beneficial in some way. 
Yeah. But there's a cost to it as well in terms yeah. of just the what is appropriate where, what is appropriate when. You know, I've had conversations with a couple friends where I'm like, dude, social media is not your diary. You know, mm-hmm. like every private thought doesn't need to yeah. end up there. Yeah. And, and and that's, you know, that's not more genuine or honest or authentic. It's just honest or authentic or genuine because these are good hearted people uh, yeah. just pointing it in the wrong direction. You know, like that, yeah. that's a conversation we should have over drinks. That's a conversation to have with your small yeah. group or your buddies or kind of whoever that circle is. Yeah. And yeah, the, we, we've lost categories for that, which is, which is why I think there is sort of a, you sort of see a, there, there was a kind of a, a simple, painful beauty to the gathering at the Staples Center of, mm-hmm. of Lakers fans yeah. uh, in, in memoriam to Kobe. And, you know, I saw a couple of interviews and just the Kobe owned Los Angeles. Yeah. Like, re- real, say that. real Los Angelinos, not, not, yeah. not necessarily all the transports, but the people who are like, this is my city. I've been a Lakers. My, my dad was a Lakers fan when they moved here from Minneapolis kind of thing. And, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so there's a, there, there's something there that you look at and you're like, oh, that's community. There's, yeah. there's real humanity there. Well, and he kind of gave that to L.A. in a in a way like he kind of gave L.A. a person, you know, whereas before L.A. was L.A. was to me was always like the ultimate collective. Right. It was the it was the place you moved to to pursue a career in entertainment, basically. And, and as such, people were from everywhere else. And L.A., even as good as Magic was and even as good as the Showtime Lakers were. Um, you know, there were always football teams moving in and out of LA in that era. And, um, LA was really like Kobe was their first long-term celebrity for lack of a better term, you know? Um, and there, there have been always obviously movie stars moving in and out of LA and bands and stuff like that. But he was the, for 20 years, he was a Laker, you know, and he was a Laker the whole way. And, and, and I think basketball is unique pipe in that you really, if you watch a lot of games, you sit with the stars for a long time. Like you see their faces 82 nights a year, you know? Um, and baseball, well, yeah, baseball and, and is, in Kobe's case, it was like a hundred plus nights a year because of how deep they went in the playoffs over and yeah. over and over again. And there's only five guys on the floor for your team at one time. So you're seeing their faces. You're seeing them up close. It's the most personal sport. And it's the most personality-saturated sport by a long shot. And I think that combined with L.A. kind of needing their own person, he was he was the guy, you know, and that made him special. So, yeah, you're, you're 100% right. Seeing people together outside the Staples Center, it was it was a hopeful thing. When he, the other thing is, he was a unique fit for Los Angeles because he, you know, he he did have that eclectic background of, you know, he's a black guy. His father played in the league, but his father also played overseas, so he was mm-hmm. was kind of a multi multicultural background, highly yeah. educated. Also, you know, grew up you know playing in Philly. And mm-hmm. so when he gets to Los Angeles, there's he kind of has the he's got the hard edge of your Allen Iversons mm-hmm. to a degree, but there's not a group in L.A. that he can't walk into the room and be right. respected by by the those who own studios and the movie producers yep. and the the bigwigs of the actors. Like he's he's not less than anybody in anybody's mm-hmm. eyes, and that's mm-hmm. 
And, you know, saying that, I realize I'm, you know, touching on some sensitive subjects of, of race and and social class and things like that. But but people are jerks. And so yeah. we, we we have those problems. And yeah. in a lot of ways, Kobe just kicked those lines and just just smudged them out and said, no, I'm I'm here and I'm there. And I'm you know, I can I can be in all these contexts, which uniquely enabled him, I think, to to make Los Angeles his own that and yeah. winning, winning a bunch. Oh, sure, man. And that and that's fascinating. Right. I mean, that makes him compelling and he has more access to people in L.A. than you or I will ever have. Right. Um, regardless of his race or ours. And um, yeah, it, it it makes everything that he did so impressive, you know, and um, yeah, it's again, whether you know Christ or not, it's it's impossible not to be impressed by what he was able to make happen, you know, and, and you and I at a much smaller level are in, we're, we are in businesses of making things happen, right? We want to make book deals happen and we want to have a good live show in April. And, um, you know, we have other projects that we're trying to make pop and I think his, his ability to make things happen and, and what's more his ability to do it in his own way, like, he didn't want to just be a talking head in a studio after his career. He wanted to make this really kind of unique, weird mold breaking ESPN show. And, and he did his animated stuff and, and he's coming you know, out with a line of kids books and just, yeah. Yeah, he was, I mean, he was, he was a, a Renaissance man in a very yeah. unironic way of using that term. Oh, most definitely. And, and, and very unique in terms of even the, the post athletic, uh, storylines that we're comfortable with. You know what I mean? Um, ex jock retires, you know, gets celebrated for a year or two ends up back in the booth. You know, we're, we're comfortable with that narrative because we've seen it happen so many times, but, um, he was unique even in, even in retirement, you know, uh, in terms of, of what he was able to make happen. So, um, sad stuff, man, sad stuff. Any yeah. other, any other, kind of parting thoughts on uh, on Kobe before we wrap this one pipe. No, I mean I think we've I think we've touched on I mean there's always more to be said about a person's life but um mm-hmm. I I think I think that what I would want to end with since we've touched on so much serious stuff is just one of the things that I was reminded of yesterday is just how unbelievable he was at basketball. Yeah. Because I I only remember yeah. the last couple of years when he was he was not as good. Mm-hmm. But going back and looking, he was ridiculous. And just yeah. you know, I don't you know, I don't think he's one of the top, you know, five or ten players ever, but mm-hmm. he's one of the top like two or three shooting guards ever. And yeah. And when he was when he was at his peak, he was he was unbelievable and did really make watching basketball in the late nineties and early two thousands it's incredibly fun. Like I remember yeah. watching Kings Lakers series and Blazers yep. Blazers Lakers series, you know, back when it was the Jail Blazers mm-hmm. and you know, Timberwolves Lakers, the one year the Timberwolves made it very far in the playoffs and and and, and hating Kobe as a player. Yeah. You know, yeah. never personal, just loathing him, which is a sign of respect. Just because yeah. I was like, oh, he's doing it again. That guy. Yeah. So yeah, yeah I you know the it feels trite in some ways, but, but remembering his, his 
just insane ability is something that I'm like, I, I don't, we haven't really talked about that. He's, yeah, he was one of the best, certainly of, of his, his generation. Dude. I honestly, I think that's the opposite of trite in that that was his job, right? Um, I mean, his job was to be that guy at a high level and that's what he wanted. And, and the fact that we remember him as such, I think is it's, it's true. It's the opposite of trite. Like for me, I agree a hundred percent with everything you said. And, and, and also he was a, he was a guy that could like change the temperature of the gym, you know? And I, this is another thing I was trying to explain to my wife this morning, kind of the Kobe versus LeBron thing where LeBron was always impressive, right? Like freaky physical attributes, all the stuff that's been well-documented, his ability to score, involve his teammates, et cetera, et cetera. But I feel like Kobe, whenever he wanted, he could walk into any gym and own it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And like turn the fan base and flip the mood. And, you know, that game where he never shot, like he was basically like, mm-hmm. let me show you how bad all my teammates are and why you need me to shoot a whole bunch. Like it was petulant and petty, but I mean, it was him just kind of owning the moment in a way that it seemed like yeah. he always could do it. And um, I, I will always be interested in a performer who can do that regardless well, of their vocation. Yeah. And just the, the sort of the savage dislike between he and Shaq. And I realized there, there was probably some personal stuff to that, but just mm-hmm. Shaq was somebody, Shaq was a lot like LeBron in that he showed up and he goes, well, I'm probably the best guy here. Cause who's going to stop me? Yeah. And Kobe had, he sort of absorbed that, that tenacity that Jordan had where it's, it's, it's almost psychotic. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so he just couldn't stand that Shaq wouldn't go harder yeah. all the time. You know, right. Shaq could have been one of the top two or three players ever. And instead he's one of the top, you know, 12 because, sure. because he just didn't try all the time and he played yeah. himself into shape and he, you know, yep. Yep. he was amazing, but yeah. But yeah, that that mentality of Kobe's where he just every minute on the court mattered, never took it just just the the uh, professional aggressiveness and focus mm-hmm. and ins- almost insanity, which, again, maybe maybe it's commendable. But at the very yeah. least, the results were there. Yeah, the results were there and it was it was noticeable. Um, so, yeah, uh, pipe. Great to. Great to talk with you about this. You know, it's, I don't want to say fun, but like it's enriching to talk with a Christian friend who understands sports when something like this happens. And, you know, this is the opposite of, you know, trying to capture it in a tweet. I mean, it took us an hour. We could go another hour. I don't know how right we were in any of this, but, uh, but to me, it sure was, uh, something that I appreciate. You know, and and part of what's fun about doing this show is we get to we get to do this with a whole bunch of topics kind of on a spectrum from trivial to meaningful. And um, it's just really good to be able to do it. Yeah, I totally agree. And in terms of being right, I feel like one of the advantages of a conversation like this is I don't think either of us necessarily came in with takes as much as we did reactions Yep. Which I think would especially when you're talking about tragedy, that that's how you process through. You sort of go with this is this is how this struck me, and then you you kind of work it out. And so yeah, an hour yeah. to work it out is way better than two hundred and eighty characters or whatever we get on Twitter. Amen, man. Most definitely. Well, pipe, take us out with a little uh a little promo of 
our live event in Louisville, something we're looking forward to. We always enjoy the three of us being in the same room together, but being in the same room as our audience. So yeah. tell us about what that's going to look like. Yeah. So we're coming up on, is this our fourth? It's our fourth live event or fifth? I think so. I think fourth it's our fourth. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, April 13, it's a Monday. It's the Monday after Easter and the Monday before Together for the Gospel in Louisville. Yep. We are doing our fourth uh, live event. We're calling it Live at Midtown. Uh, it's, mm-hmm. at, it's at Sojourn Midtown in Louisville. All of the details are at happyrampodcast.com. That is updated, and you can find out find the link there. But it'll be same basic format as we've done before. We're working on some curveballs to, to keep things interesting, keep you on your toes uh, if you're there, or if you're just listening to the recordings after the fact. Um, it'll be at 7 p.m. That's Eastern time. So 7 to 10 p.m. We'll record a couple episodes and then do Q&A with our audience, which I, I think I speak for, for Ted and Ronnie is our favorite part of the whole thing is just getting mm-hmm. a chance to answer questions, interact with you great listeners who show up. Um, Tickets are $15. We will probably run some, you know, limited time discounts here and there, some contests to get free tickets or different things in the couple months leading up to it. But seating is limited. So if you want to reserve your spot, go to happyrampodcast.com. You'll see it right in the middle of the page, live event. Uh, We may also be able to work it out with Redbud Coffee to have some of their delicious roasts there uh, Mm. for if you're interested in getting that before April, go to redbudcoffee.com, check out what they've got. Uh, and if you use the code happy rant, one word, happy rant at checkout, you can get 10% off your purchase from Redbud as well. I love it. Looking forward to that pipe and uh, enjoy chatting today, man. Um, excellent work. And uh, we've, we've not done what we always do. We usually don't spend an hour on one topic, but it felt, (laughs) (laughs) it felt appropriate and I'm glad we did. And until next time. The happy rant is brought to you by resonate recordings. If you go to resonaterecordings.com, you can see the full range of services they offer. So if you're considering starting a podcast, they are the ones we recommend going with. Again, go to resonaterecordings.com to see their prices, to connect with them and ask any questions, and to see what they can do to help you launch, edit, master, and improve your podcast. Again, go to resonaterecordings.com to see what they can do to help you launch and improve your podcast.